Gaur Premanande. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnupadaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Srimate Bhakti Vedanta Swami Niti Namane. Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pachani Nivasesa Sanyavani Paskatyare Satanani. Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Uta Padakamalam. Sri Gurun Vaishnavamscha. Sri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatam Vitamstam Sajivam. Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Padijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Deva. Sri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Sri Vishakam Vitamscha. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So it's October 9th, 2010, in Radhadesh. We're reading from Canto 4, Chapter 29, Talks Between Narada and King Krishnabari, Text 54. And this is the second of three verses where Narada Muni is explaining yet another allegory to King Barishman to convince him to take Vanaprastha immediately rather than waiting for his sons to come back and have the normal transitional period where he hands over the throne. Uh, I really don't know if I can read this verse. It's a prose verse that's about ten lines. But we'll try. Do we have any Sanskrit scholars here who'd like to try to read this verse? We'll try. Sumana dhamma dharmanam strinam sadana ashrame pushpa maru gandavat shudratamam kamya karma vipagajam kama sukalavam jaivya pasyadi vichinvantam maituni bhuya tad abhinivesita Manasam sarangri gana sama gitavad ati manohara vanitadi janal aps jan alapesh vatitaram ati pralobita karnam agre vrikka yutavad atmana ayurharato ho ratran tankala lava vishesan abhiganaya griheshu Vitarantam prihasta eva prakosham anupravrito lubdanka kirtantonya sarena yam iha paravidyati tam imam atmanam aho rajan vina ridayam drastum arhasiti. You all want to repeat that? <laughs> <laughs> Sumanaha, flowers, samadharmanam, exactly like, strinam, of women, shadane, in the shelter, ashrame, household life, pushpa, in flowers, madhu, of honey, ganda, the aroma, vat, like, 
Shudratamam, most insignificant, Kamya, desired, Karma, of activities, Vipakajam, obtained as a result, Kamasuka, of sense gratification, Lavam, a fragrant, Jaivya, enjoyment of the tongue, Opastya, Sex enjoyment. Sex enjoyment. Adi, Adi. Beginning, with. beginning with. Vichinvantam. Always thinking of. Maituni Bhuya. Engaging in sex life. Tat. In his wife. Abhini Veshita. Always absorbed. Manasam. Whose mind. Sat Angri. Of bumblebees, Gana, of crowds, Sama, gentle, Gita, the chanting, Vat, like, Ati, very, Manohara, attractive, Vanita Adi, beginning with the wife, Jana, of people, Alapeshu. To the talks, Atitaram, excessively, Ati, very much, Pralobita, attractive, Karnam, whose ears, Agre, in front, Rika Yuta, a group of tigers, but like Atmanaha, of oneself, Ayuhu. Span of life. Harataha. Taking away. Aharatran. Days and nights. Tan. All of them. Kala lava visheshan. The moments of time. Aviganaya. Without considering. Griheshu. In household life. Viharantam. Enjoying. Pristastaha. From the back. Eva. Certainly. Paroksham. Without being seen. Anupravrittaha. Following behind. Lubdhakaha. The hunter. Kritta Antaha. The superintendent of death. Antaha, in the heart, Sharena, by an arrow, Yam, whom, Iha, in this world, Hara Vidyati, pierces, Tam, that, Imam, this, Atmanam, yourself, Ahorajan, O King, Bina Ridayam, whose heart is pierced, drastum, to see, arhasi, you ought, iti, thus. Okay, it's time for class to end. Okay, translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. My dear King, woman who is very attractive in the beginning, but in the end very disturbing. <laughs> uh, men are like that too, guys. 
There was a... <laughs> we have a, a, a show we give on, on teaching. Remember I was talking the other day about how the teacher is supposed to take the main responsibility for teaching? So we have, it's called Seven Laws of the Learner, and one of them is the law of expectation. And there they show the woman is seeing that her husband is a knight in shining armor on a white horse, and after she marries him, he's a pot-bellied couch potato. <laughs> so, it works the other way too. My dear king, woman who was very attractive in the beginning, but in the end very disturbing, is exactly like the flower which is attractive in the beginning and detestable at the end. So what do we do with old flowers? They're rotting, right? The most fragrant flower, when it's old, it sinks. With woman, the living entity, of course he's saying with woman for two reasons. Why is he saying with woman? Why is he picking on women? Because he's talking to a man. Why else is he picking on women? Bhagavatam seems to pick on women a lot. Why else? Well, that's because he's talking to a man. But why women? He's advising him to take Vanaprastha, yes. And the advice uh, given to Priyavrata is just the opposite, interestingly enough. But still, why women? We keep picking on women in Vanaprastha. I'm sorry? Lust object, yes. Basically, the females exemplify the whole idea of prakriti. We, we've come here to this world to be the purushas of prakriti. Instead of to be the prakriti of the purusha, we've come to be the purusha of prakriti. We are, we are trying to be, just like Vrikasura, he wanted to kill Lord Shiva so that he could kidnap Gori. So that's our mentality. That we've come here instead of, instead of wanting to facilitate Krishna's dancing with Radharani, we want to own Radharani. We want to be Ravana kidnapping Sita. And as soon as we do that, then she becomes Durga. So this concept of enjoying prakriti is particularly evident and enjoying the female. So one wants to enjoy the female by possessing a female, and one wants to be a, enjoy the female by being a female. So the soul who has more of a desire to enjoy prakriti takes the form of a female. Let me not only own my little representative of Durga Devi in my house, let me own it in my own body. So it's still the same concept of wanting to be the master of prakriti. Uh, therefore, you find that the men's magazines have pictures of women and the women's magazines have pictures of women. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. They're trying to change this a little out of political correctness, but they can't because then nobody will buy anything. You know, they're not going to be able to advertise a car with just a handsome man buy it. It's just not going to work. So that's... Uh, basically, woman is the symbol of property. Here, here's... Because... Who is Radharani? She's the ultimate goddess of fortune. And what do we all want? We all want wealth, beauty, knowledge, strength, fame, and detachment. 
That's what we want. We want to be the owners of opulence. So therefore, in the spiritual world, the supreme attractive object is Krishna. And in the material world, the supreme attractive object is Durga. So you can take it both ways. Both of these speaking very specifically to King Barishman, who he's trying to induce to take Vanaprastha now, immediately, without any further consideration, today, because he's ready for it. And also, therefore he's speaking about things from the perspective of the king. And also you can take it that this attachment to woman means attachment to wanting to enjoy the world, to wanting to be the lord of opulence. My dear king, woman who is very attractive in the beginning but in the end very disturbing is exactly like the flower, which is attractive in the beginning and detestable at the end. With woman, the living entity is entangled with lusty desires, and he enjoys sex, just as one enjoys the aroma of a flower. He thus enjoys a life of sense gratification from his tongue to his genitals, and in this way the living entity considers himself very happy in family life. United with his wife, he always remains absorbed in such thoughts. He feels great pleasure in hearing the talks of his wife and children, which are like the sweet humming of bumblebees that collect honey from flower to flower. He forgets that before him, in other words, in front of him, is time, which is taking away his lifespan with the passing of day and night. He does not see the gradual diminishing of his life, nor does he care about the superintendent of death who is trying to kill him from behind. So in front of him is time, and behind is death. Just try to understand this. You are in a precarious position and are threatened from all sides. So imagine if we see somebody in a garden smelling the flowers, listening to the birds and the honeybees, and standing outside the garden are, is a police officer waiting to arrest him. Now that's, this is how Narada Muni sees the situation of the king. Purport. Materialistic life means forgetting one's constitutional position as the eternal servant of Krishna, and this forgetfulness is especially enhanced in the Grahasta Ashram. In the Grahasta Ashram, a young man accepts a young wife, who is very beautiful in the beginning, but in due course of time, after giving birth to many children and becoming older and older, she demands many things from the husband to maintain the entire family. At such a time, the wife becomes detestable to the very man who accepted her in her younger days. So in the beginning, he thinks, I'm so attached, and then after a while, she says, but we need this, and we need that, and we need this, and we need that, and he thinks, I don't want anything to do with this lady. Again, it happens the other way also. One becomes attached to the Grahasta Ashram for two reasons only. The wife cooks palatable dishes for the satisfaction of her husband's tongue, and she gives him sexual pleasure at night. A person attached to the Grahasta Ashram is always thinking of these two things, palatable food and sex enjoyment. The talks of the wife, which are enjoyed as a family recreation, and the talks of the children both attract the living entity. He thus forgets that he has to die someday and has to prepare for the next life if he wants to be put into a congenial body. The deer in the flower garden is an allegory used by the great sage Narada to point out to the king that the king himself is similarly entrapped by such surroundings. Actually, Everyone is surrounded by such a family life which misleads one. The living entity thus forgets that he has to return home back to Godhead. 
simply, he's interesting, Prabhupada says, everyone. So everyone has a family. This does not just apply to people who are married. We all have a mother and father. We probably have brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles and cousins, or at least we have friends and community. Nowadays, people aren't into family so much anymore. We have some society, friendship, and love that we're thinking, yes, I'm going to enjoy my society, friendship, and love. Therefore, everyone. The living entity thus forgets that he has to return home back to Godhead. He simply becomes entangled in family life. Prahlad Maharaja has therefore hinted, Hitvatma patam guraham andhkupam vanam gato yaddarim ashrayeta. Vanam gato. So, this is Prahlad Maharaja speaking to his father. Vanam gato, go to the forest. Of course, Prahlad Maharaja said this when he was a young boy, and what did he do when he grew up? He got married. Family life is considered a blind well, andhukupam, into which a person falls and dies without help. Prahlad Maharaja recommends that while one's senses are there and one is strong enough, he should abandon the grahasta ashrama and take shelter of the lotus feet of the Lord going to the forest of Vrindavana. So Prabhupada often says this about Vanaprastha life, that we're not just interested in living in the forest, like one of our members here just spent one week living in the forest. She's not here this morning. How can I live in the forest? And she said, of course, they brought food with them. But they were just, <laughs> she said she didn't sleep the whole week. So we're not just interested in living in the forest, we're interested in living in Vrindavana. Not, it's not necessarily that we're going to be more Krishna conscious living in the forest. This is not saying, okay, everybody, give up your little room here in the temple and go make a tent in the forest. <laughs> According to Vedic civilization, one has to give up family life at a certain age, the age of 50, take Vanaprastha, and eventually remain alone as a sannyasi. That is the prescribed method of Vedic civilization known as Varnashrama Dharma. When one takes sannyas after enjoying family life, he pleases the Supreme Lord, Vishnu. One has to understand one's position in family or worldly life. That is called intelligence. One should not remain always trapped in family life to satisfy his tongue and genitals in association with the wife. In such a way, one simply spoils his life. According to Vedic civilization, it is imperative to give up the family at a certain age by force if necessary. I'm not quite sure what that means. As Prabhupada says this many times. What does this mean? By force, if necessary. So, I, I actually, one devotee recently posted something where he said that he sees that it's often the women who kick the men out at a certain point. They say, okay, enough of you guys. Go to Vrindavan. <laughs> yes, what do you think it means, by force? Basically, Krishna forced him. Yes. <laughs> yes. I really think a lot about Srila Prabhupada's own life reading these purports. Unfortunately, so-called followers of Vedic life do not give up their family even at the end of life unless they are forced by death. Prabhupada talked about Gandhi, how he wouldn't retire from the government, he wouldn't retire from his family until he died. There should be a thorough overhauling of the social system and society should revert to the Vedic principles that is the four varnas and the four ashramas. Is it all right if I do not repeat the Sanskrit? <laughs> okay. I, I can repeat the verse. 
My dear king, woman who is very attractive in the beginning, but in the end very disturbing, is exactly like the flower, which is attractive in the beginning and detestable at the end. With woman, the living entity is entangled with lusty desires, and he enjoys sex just as one enjoys the aroma of a flower. He thus enjoys a life of sense gratification from his tongue to his genitals, and in this way the living entity considers himself very happy in family life. United with his wife, he always remains absorbed in such thoughts. He feels great pleasure in hearing the talks of his wife and children, which are like the sweet humming of bumblebees that collect honey from flower to flower. He forgets that in front of him is time, which is taking away his lifespan with the passing of day and night. He does not see the gradual diminishing of his life, nor does he care about the superintendent of death who is trying to kill him from behind. I don't care. Let me smell the flowers. Just try to understand this. You are in a precarious position and are threatened from all sides. So this is modern society. In a nutshell, even though in modern society, people by and large have abandoned regulated family life. Just imagine, here Narada is talking about the Grahasta Ashram. He's talking about pious family life. And King Barishman was a great karmakandi, a follower of the Vedas, engaged in ritualistic sacrifice, and he's condemning that. What to speak of modern society, where they don't even get married anymore. And people just, now I'll live with this person, now I'll live with that person, now I'll live with the other person, now I'll try this gender, now I'll try this thing, now I'll try that thing. Right? And, they don't, and not, even, not even human beings. And the whole society, I remember once going on book distribution at a mall, and they're playing this music, you know, and they have this, all these exhibits, and the, the devotee who was with me said, everything's fine, forget about God. Now just forget about it. There's no time, there's no death, just enjoy love. Like after the Twin Towers were destroyed, our wonderful former President Bush gets on the television and says, the best thing you can all do is, do you know what he said? Go shopping. That's what he said. He said, now that our country's been attacked by terrorists, go shopping. So this is modern society. You're not going to get old, just get some plastic surgery, get some cosmetics. You can always get divorced and marry a younger woman or a younger man. Right? And just enjoy life. There's no time, there's no death. By the time you get there, we'll have conquered it anyway with our modern technology. Just enjoy the material world and smell the flowers. Now this is the, the whole, our whole civilization is like this. Everything's fine, no God, no problems. Of course, the news is only problems. If you have the misfortune to watch the news or read the news. Fire here, flood there, murder here, robbery there, divorce there, this, you know, right? It's not about the flowers. It's all about time and death and old age and violence. But it's just, get this new gizmo, you know, get this new phone, get this new computer. Have you get this new app for your phone? Buy this new car? Get this new house? Get this new job? Have this new sexual relationship? And then everything? Try taste this new food? There's an Italian restaurant and a Chinese restaurant and a this restaurant. 
setting me happy. Buy this new clothes, new fashion. And now another new fashion, and then another new fashion. I don't know. They don't really look so much new. And forget what's going on here. Just be in a dream. And if that isn't enough, then take some intoxicant. Every human society has its socially required intoxicants. Have you noticed that? Every human society. In some parts of the world, it's called cat, K-H-A-T. Some parts it's tobacco. Some parts it's alcohol. And there's something, at least in modern Western society, you have to take caffeine. I mean, that's... You don't drink coffee. You don't drink tea. You don't drink alcohol. Take some intoxicant and then sit in front of your electric intoxicating device every night. Right? And forget what the purpose of life is. So King Barishman is saying, yes, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not going to do it now. Let me wait. I've got to adjust this thing, and I've got to adjust that thing, and I've got to adjust the other thing, and I've got to adjust this thing. And Nard is saying, no, do it now. And I, I had a, a similar experience where I was, uh, I'd spent some time staying in a temple when I was 17 without telling my parents. And then I went back to university to finish the year. I thought, well, I can't move in now because I'm not legal age. And anyway, my parents have paid for the rest of the semester. I should go back and finish my year. So I went back and finished the year and tried to be a devotee at college. Not terribly successfully, but I tried. I just, I wore a piece of cloth like a sari with my hippie boots underneath and uh, some pictures of Krishna in my wall. I tried making prasadam from my dorm, only sweets. I made sweet rice, tried to make a love to What else did I make? A whole bunch of different sweets. Right? And then the, I, I dropped out of school, I went back to my hometown, and I told everybody, okay, I'm moving in the temple. But somehow when I got back to my hometown, I couldn't wear a sari in my hometown anymore. I could wear a sari at college, but I couldn't wear a sari in my hometown. Just wasn't courageous enough to put my blue jeans back on. And my friends started saying, Are you sure you want to move in the temple? Why don't you do something else first? You know, we're going to travel around the country. Why don't you do that first? My mother said, But I made so many dental appointments for you. <laughs> what about those? And I started having some doubt. Maybe I'll do something else first before I surrender to Krishna. And then it was, uh, see, I got home on a Thursday, and it was a Saturday at lunchtime, and I, someone got the mail. And I was sitting at the lunch table, and I opened my mail, and it was an invitation from the temple in Chicago that the next day, at 3 o'clock, they'd be installing Kishore Kishori. And I, I really felt Krishna in my heart saying, you better go right now, or you're not going to make it. Do it now or you're going to lose the opportunity. And I looked at my parents and I said, I'm going tomorrow. <laughs> my mother is crying. No, I said, I'm going tomorrow. My father said, well, I'll buy you a round-trip ticket, so if you want to come back, you can come back. I held on to it for a week or so, and then I cashed it in. Can't do that anymore. I cashed it in and bought a sleeping bag. But this idea of urgency... What they call an advertising exigency. 
Of course, in advertising, this is used to manipulate you. Hurry up, sale ends in 30 days. You have to do it now. Right? Sometimes you're thinking, do I want to buy this or not? You know, and they say special sale or limited quantities. You have to do it now, and then you think, okay, I'll do it. So it's a manipulative technique. But this exigency to surrender to Krishna is very real. According to universal calculations, our life is only eight billionths of a second. Probably says spot life. So the exigency is very real. We don't know when we're going to die. You know, we're all calculating, okay, well, I probably got 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 70 years, but now do I I got some time before I can really have to get serious about this Krishna conscious business. And let me make some adjustment first. Like King Barishman, he said he wanted to make some adjustment first. First I'll do this and this and then I'll surrender to Krishna. Now, I want to emphasize again, like I said two days ago, that the externals of how one surrenders to Krishna is different for each person, and is different for each person at different times. King Priyavata's surrender to Krishna was to give up his renunciation and get married. Arjuna's surrender to Krishna was to give up his idea of running away from the battlefield and to act in his varna and, and as a grahasta. For King Barishman, his surrender to Krishna is to give up his materialistic way of life immediately and go to the forest. So it's not that just being an external renunciate is necessarily surrender to Krishna. That depends. Being an external renunciate may be your false ego. Depends who you are. You know, if you're 22 years old, being an external renunciate is probably just pride and false ego. Probably, for 99% of people. It's a different kind of attachment. So that's not so much the point here. Although Prabhupada's also making the point about the system of ashramas in general. But the point is really to do it now, to surrender to Krishna now. To surrender to Krishna now. Without waiting. We don't know how much time we have to surrender to Again, what does that mean specifically? Does that mean I have to leave my job and leave college and move in the ashram? And maybe. Maybe not. That's not, that's not necessarily what surrender to Krishna means. But to say, this, this is not something I'm going to wait, well, after I get married, I'll surrender to Krishna. After my kids are grown up, I'll surrender to Krishna. After I make a lot of money, I'll surrender to Krishna. After I fulfill this material desire, I'll surrender to Krishna. Well, I'm going to be traveling to Vrindavan in a couple weeks for Kartik. I'll surrender to Krishna there. <laughs> you might not get there. That may not happen. In the last semester of getting my PhD, every time I got in the car, I thought about Tamar Krishna Maharaj. Every single time I got in the car. I thought how three months before he got his degree, he left his body in a car accident. You know, it's not that when I finish this thing I'm working on, then I'll be then I'll be Krishna conscious. When I do this, then I'll be Krishna conscious. When I do this, then I'll be Krishna conscious. When such and such external thing happens to me, 
when I go here, when I do that, then I'll surrender to Krishna. No, surrender to Krishna now, at least as far as we're capable. And then we find happiness. If we want to find happiness in our service, if we're not finding happiness in our service, we're either going, as I said the other day, too slowly or too quickly. Either we're trying to do something that's artificial for us at the present moment, I'm trying to pretend I'm something that I'm not, or there's a way in which I need to give something up that I'm not doing. I need to make some advancement in some way that I'm not doing. I'm resisting, and I'm somehow resisting what I particularly need to do. And we talk about the six symptoms of surrender. So accepting what's favorable, rejecting what's unfavorable. And that's going to be different for each of us at different times. Like Prabhupada one time went to a devotee and said, you shouldn't be eating so much. And the devotee said, but when I joined Prabhupada, you told me to eat a lot. <laughs> Prabhupada said, did you believe me then? He said, so believe me now. And so the same person may have at one point, we may say, you should get married, you should get a house, you should get a job, you should make money, you should have children. And then 25, 30 years later, we say, give this all up, is nonsense. Right. Take medicine, now you stop taking that medicine, now you take a different medicine. Expert doctor, they're always adjusting the dose and the type of the medicine. So accepting what's favorable, rejecting what's unfavorable. Of course, certain things we're all supposed to accept and reject. We're supposed to all accept chanting 16 rounds, reading the Shastra, no meat eating, no illicit sex, no intoxication, no gambling, no offending Vaishnavas. <laughs> I mean, certain things are for everybody. Not that well for me, Prabhu, you know, offending Vaishnavas is favorable to my Krishna consciousness. So accepting what's favorable, rejecting what's unfavorable, and knowing what that is requires guidance and humility. Or honesty. Humility, honesty, very much the same thing. Having guidance and listening to that, being humble and honest enough to listen to that guidance. This is what you should accept according to your present position. And being able to look in the heart and seeing, where am I? What's my next step? How can I progress? These ashrams are meant to be progressive. The grahasta ashram for the, for the young person is a step up towards Krishna. Right? But staying in it after one's older is, is as Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, having chains around your feet. So the next thing, being very meek and humble. So being a very honest person. Humility basically just means honesty. That who am I? What am I? A Lord Rama shows up at Krishna's door, right? Who's there? Lord Rama. Huh? Krishna wants to know exactly who you are. What do you mean who I am? I'm, I'm Lord Rama. The father of the four Kumaras. Okay, you can come in. And he comes in and there's other Lord Ramas with a thousand heads and a million heads and he's just the only four-headed Rama. You ever think you're really qualified at something until you meet somebody who's ten times more qualified? How you feel? Yeah, how I feel, right? When you're really, really good at something, you just, you know, I asked for this. And then you meet somebody who's got ten times your expertise or your knowledge, like, whoa. 
And there are so many Lord Brahmas, so many universes. So many universes. We're in one universe, and it's a particularly small one. And in this universe, you know, this planet is, it's, it's not even visible practically. It's a speck of dust. And on this planet, what is Belgium? <laughs> a tiny little country. And what about this building? And what about us? Who are we? You know, I've asked this before. Who here knows the names of their great-great-grandparents? Who here knows the names of their great-great-grandparents? Anybody? Every once in a while I get someone who knows one name. So that means our great-great-grandchildren will not know our names. Our own family. How many of our relatives care what we do today? Our nearest, dearest friends. Try going to your nearest, dearest friend and telling them everything you did in one day. Would they be interested? How much are we interested? How significant are we? So this humility, one should be honest. I have value, I have great value because Krishna loves me. That's, that's my value. I'm important to Krishna. How kind Krishna is that this little speck of dust is important to him. Just like with our family, our friends, our possessions, every one of our possessions is important to us, right? Like, I, I have to travel with Tilak, and almost every Tilak container has one of two problems. It either rusts, or it, it, you can't open it after a while. The Tilak gets in the, in the uh, screw top, and then it hardens, and then you can't open it. And if it's a pop-off top, it's usually metal, and it rusts it, and then you can't open it. So I've gone through so many Tilak containers. So finally I found this little plastic container. It's probably worth all of two cents. And it doesn't have a screw, and it's plastic. So it's a little piece of plastic, but it's very dear to me. <laughs> so we're nothing, but we're very dear to Krishna. So that's humility. And then another kind of surrender is you surrender everything. Manasadeya, gaya, yoga, more. Everything Krishna is yours. And then another one is Krishna is my protector, and Krishna is my maintainer. Not, you know, Siddhaham Hambogi. One of the devotees was telling me the other day that his father always said, I am perfect. Siddhaham, I am perfect. I would think Krishna is the one who's taking care of me. He's maintaining me, he's protecting me. And Mari Krishna, Rakeke, Rakeke Krishna, Marike, if he doesn't want to protect me, then that's okay too. I trust that whatever he does is protective and maintaining. The doctor may put you on a diet, you know, where you can't, some medical tests, you're not allowed to eat or drink anything for one or two days beforehand. And you can say, the doctor is killing me. So sometimes Krishna may not give us the things that we want. But that's his form of maintenance. So the devotee accepts whatever Krishna does, that's okay. Whatever Krishna does. And then what, if one does this now, to whatever extent one can, 
then one is perfectly situated in any position. And also then, the, whatever externals we need to do become clear to us. Often we think, you know, again, we think in terms of externals. We may read this verse and think, okay, surrender to Krishna means I leave my family and go to the forest. Well, maybe. Maybe not. Depends who you are. But it's not that first you go to the forest and that will help you to surrender to Krishna. No, you surrender to Krishna and then you know what you should do. It becomes clear what you should do. Surrender to Krishna, you're protecting me, you're maintaining me. And then you can see, oh, this is what I should do. Everything becomes clear. And what you do is not then a means exactly to become happy in this world, but it is a means to deepen your surrender to Krishna. And it's a means of expressing your surrender to Krishna. And that process should be very, a very joyful process. It should be the, the kind of joy that the mother feels in surrendering to her little baby or the wife to the husband, the friend to the friend. It should be a joyful kind of surrender. It should be like, oh, I'm going to surrender. So we can also look briefly at this idea of the ashramas. We don't have a whole lot of time, but we'll just very, very briefly. So each ashrama is supposed to be a progressive kind of surrender. And the idea of each ashram is there's something, there's some way that I want to enjoy the world for the beginning devotee, for the not pure person. For the pure person, they're already, <laughs> there's no need of any of the ashrams, they can be an avaduta, and they're accepting the different ashrams for some transcendental purpose. But for someone who's not pure, they're thinking, I want to enjoy the world like this. I want to enjoy the world by having a husband or wife, by having my own kitchen, by being able to cook my own food and make what I want to make, and having my own money and having my own chairs and my own little domain. That's how I want to enjoy the world. Or one may say, I want to enjoy the world by immersing myself in study. Study and simplicity and freedom. Or maybe one wants to enjoy the world by having no possessions, an unencumbered person having complete freedom. Those are all material enjoyments. Please don't think the renounced ashrams are ashrams just of austerity and the grahasta ashram is an ashram of pleasure. It's not like that. All of the ashrams have their pleasure. And then you say, okay, I want to enjoy like this. What is the sacrifice that I'm supposed to make to enjoy like that? Krishna says, I create, maintain, and destroy the world through penance only. And it says in the fourth chapter that the transcendence is eternally situated in acts of sacrifice. So what's the, what's the corresponding sacrifice? You know, if you want to buy something at the bakery, there's a price on it. <laughs> what do I have to pay? So if you want to enjoy as a brahmachari, brahmacharini, you live in the guru's ashram, guru takes care of you like you're a child. You're taking care of like you're a child. You turn over all your money to the guru. You don't have any personal possessions, and you're just absorbed in study. Then what's the sacrifice you have to do? You got somebody else telling you what to do. You don't get to decide for yourself, this is what I want to do today. The guru says you do this, you say yes, sir. And the sacrifice is you don't even get emotional enjoyment from the opposite sex. You don't even think about the opposite sex. You're absorbed in your study. And the austerity is you have to study the pleasure is you study and the austerity is you study. 
And you say, I want my own kitchen, I want my own bank account, I want my own car. I want someone to look at me and say, I love you. You're everything to me. And I want some control over my own space. And I want some feeling of security. This is my space. These are my things. I know where they are. I've got an extra set of tools. I've got extra saris and extra dhotis and extra shoes. I got extra money in the bank. And if you want to be able to use all your propensities, all of the varnas, because the varnas are mostly for livelihood. If you want to enjoy that way. And then what is a sacrifice? If you want to enjoy the sweet words of the opposite sex, then your austerities, you've got to put up with the opposite sex. If you want to enjoy the woman going when she's, ah, then you've got to put up with her when she's, ah. And you want to enjoy that there's a man saying, yes, I will take care of you, I'll protect you. Then you've got to put up with the man throwing the socks on the floor and saying, hey, pick him up. There's, there's a price. If you want to enjoy the little babbling of the children, you've got to change their nappies. Educate them. If you want to enjoy the security of a house, you've got to pay the bills on the house. You've got to take care of the plumbing. And if you want to enjoy the, the freedom of no possessions, there's freedom in the Brahmacharya ashram, no possessions, but in the Vanaprastha and Sanyas ashram, you're no longer living in the ashram of the guru. It's no longer somebody going, okay, do this, do that, clean the floor at 9.15 and at 9.30, then you've got to pass this over, and at 9.45, that's not that anymore. But then what's the sacrifice? You have to live with nothing. You have to be willing to live in the forest with nothing. You have to be willing to live without a home. You have to be willing to live without possessions. You have to give up any sense of control over your environment. Even the brahmachari can have some sense of control. This is my shelf. Right? Vanaprasa, you don't even have a shelf. Sannyas, the traditional sannyasi, has a kamandalu and a rod. You don't know where you're going to stay. Is it going to be this tree or that tree? Is the house ever going to give me milk or tell me to get out of here? So you have the enjoyment of freedom and you have the austerity. You give up your concept of controlling and security. And then not just that you do the sacrifice, but you do the sacrifice for Krishna. We talked about this a little bit two days ago. You say, okay, this is how I want to enjoy. Let me do the sacrifice for Krishna. Let me take nice care of my wife for Krishna. Let me obey the orders of the, my temple authority for Krishna. Let me sleep under a different tree for Krishna. Let me do this for... I'm offering this to Krishna. And then you get to enjoy the enjoyments of your ashram as... What's the enjoyment become? Well, you did the sacrifice, you offer the sacrifice, then what do you get? Prasadam. It's, it's really exactly like, you know, you cook, you shop, you cook, that's a sacrifice, right? You shop, you cook, you clean up, and Krishna gives you some prasadam. And the idea of going through the ashrams is that if you do the ashrams like that, if your engagement in the ashrams is like that, this is described very nicely by Bhaktisiddhanta in uh, Brahma Samhita, text 61, and Prabhupada explains it all over the place. 
then gradually you become purified of this desire to enjoy the world. You start realizing that real pleasure is in this relationship with Krishna. So if I'm not gaining happiness in Krishna consciousness, now we don't expect the neophyte to have the unlimited ocean of happiness that's there for the pure devotee. Obviously, anandam burivardhanam. This uh, Bhaktisiddhanta commenting on this verse says that although the jiva is infinitesimal, his capacity for happiness is unlimited. So the unlimited ocean of happiness isn't going to be tasted until there's complete purity. But we do expect that we're going to be relishing Krishna consciousness. And Krishna wants us to be relishing Krishna consciousness. He doesn't, even a, a terrible demon of an employer wants his employees to be happy because then they'll be more productive and they'll make him more money. Why to speak of Krishna? So then we should examine, am I properly situated according to my level of advancement? Am I operating either below or above my level of advancement? Am I surrendering to Krishna moment by moment? Am I doing things as an offering to a person? Am I sacrificing for a person? And yes, at the beginning, I'm going to be sacrificing for a person so I get to eat the sweet bowl. But then at least relish the sweet bowl as Krishna's prasanna. And gradually just relish the relationship with the person and gradually just have love for the person. Whether he gives you sweet balls or not becomes irrelevant because he himself is a big sweet ball. Doesn't matter whether he gives you anything anymore. Madhuradi, Patera, Hiram, Madhuram. He's full of sweetness. Everything about him is sweet. So that is our process. Whether, whether our surrender is, uh, is this or that on the external platform. So these are the questions that we should be asking ourselves. So thank you very much. And uh, I want to say how much I enjoyed being here again at Radhadesh. And then, Vidai Chaitanya Prabhu requested me 